Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. Okay, so plenty of roster moves for the Edmonton Oilers today. Oscar Clefbaum placed on injured reserve with an upper body issue. Obviously, we know that he been, uh, has been playing dinged up, as general manager Peter Shirelli put it a few weeks ago. So Clefbaum to injured reserve. Nathan Walker, first Australian player in the NHL. He has played two games for the Oilers. He is on waivers. Anton Slepeshev called back up from Bakersfield. Uh, he was uh, on the AHL roster for one day. He's back on the Oilers roster. And Greg Chase traded to the Florida Panthers for future considerations. He'd been playing in the ECHL. So with Clefbaum on injured reserve, you'll wonder if Andre Sekera could be activated hmm, very soon very soon and return on defense we'll keep an eye on that certainly uh, tomorrow morning when the Oilers get back to practice thanks a lot for tuning in tonight it is 607 it is inside sports on Oilers and Eskimos radio 630 Ched two more Oilers games before Christmas Thursday they will host St. Louis Saturday they will host Montreal and the Oilers have won eight of their last 13 a modest surge they still find themselves second last in the West they are still six points out of a playoff spot but playing better and and hoping to put something together. Kelly Rudy, former NHL goaltender, now an analyst with the NHL on Rogers, joins us every week here on the show. Kelly, how's it going, buddy? Fantastic read yourself. I am doing great. You done all your Christmas shopping? I ha- I am. And uh, but I'm gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. I'm one of those guys that I don't have to go do anything. My wife <laughs> is the uh, she's unbelievable. She takes care of everything for me. So all I have to do is basically show up and enjoy. Well, you're lucky. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a lot of people to buy for. I mean, I'm a single only child. Uh, my parents are are uh, are uh, very healthy, so obviously they're in my life, and a few cousins and, and friends, but it's limited shopping. I actually find the the wrapping more of a nuisance than the shopping. That probably sounds really lame, but that's I find the wrapping more of a nuisance. Oh, same with me. When I did all that shopping for years, I... I really enjoyed the shopping, and I liked being around in the busy malls, and it gave me great energy and all that kind of stuff, but it was the uh, the wrapping that I hated. And the worst part was, I'm sure like a lot of your listeners uh, will agree with this or would uh, feel the same way, I would always leave it then, too. And, I like, why wouldn't I go buy, say, three gifts or something and then wrap them that day so that uh, Christmas Eve I'm not stuck in a bedroom <laughs> in the house trying to wrap presents for 
two and a half hours or something ridiculous. So that's how that used to really, really bother me. Well, I, I think I'll probably go home and and finish tonight. Maybe just uh, I don't know, throw some old newspapers around the odd gift and tape it up. <laughs> it'll, it'll be finished. Uh, Kelly, good to have you on the show. The Oilers are, are are trying to put some good games together. You know what, Kelly? You caused a, quite a quite a kerfuffle a couple of years ago when you said, "Look, Ryan Nugent Hopkins uh, isn't one of the top." Uh, 30 scoring centers in the NHL, so therefore he's he's not a no, no, number one center. This was pre-McDavid, pre-Dreisaitl, and uh, pre-McClellan, pre-Shirelli, and pre-the Oilers being you know a better team. We'll see where they wind up this year. I, I got to tell you, Kelly, Nugent Hopkins, to me, he's become a little bit of a Mr. Everything for the Oilers, and I thought he was impressive again last night. What are you seeing? I agree. I think he's really come on again. Uh, he's awfully impressive. Uh, at the time, I believe that might have been three seasons ago when I said that. Yep. And uh, what I said uh, exactly was, I said he was a number two or a number three. Now, there were some uh, Oilers fans that took exception to that, and, and they misquoted me for sure. They said that I said he was a third liner. When you say a guy's a number two or a number three, that's quite the compliment, really, if you think about it, how many centers uh, there are in the game. And to be considered a top two or three in the league on a particular team is exceptional. So uh, I, at the point, at that time, I didn't think he was the number one. I still don't. I think he's uh, a, an excellent uh, depth guy on your roster. And now at 24 years old, I just find that he's playing his best hockey. You look at a couple of the plays he made last night, and you can really see the maturity. You know, when, when he can read a play that well, and make a decision that quickly, like he did last night in a couple plays, that's awfully impressive. Well, you know, Rob Brown has, when Rob's critical of a player, he often says, you know, you didn't notice him. And there's ways in hockey to be noticed without getting points. And that's what I find about Nugent Hopkins. Where's the puck? There's Nugent Hopkins. He's always he's always near the puck or in the right place to support, um, you know, his teammate defending or attacking relative to where the puck is. Well, absolutely, and that's the job of the centerman, right? You, you've got to be in good position, and, and that takes a long time to learn. And You look at some of the guys around the league that are uh, top centers, uh, they usually don't start out with tons and tons of success and or they're really protected by their coach, and that's not the case with uh, Nugent Hopkins anymore. He can play against anybody. Uh, you don't worry about him in the defensive role or in matchups, and I think to a certain degree, when you get to a certain age, I think it was uh, around 26 for Kadri, Nazem Kadri in Toronto, when his game really took off, and that was last year, because he was put in a matchup role, not a, not in a, a defensive role like a shutdown role, because I think those two situations are different. When you put, you're put a guy in a shutdown role, it's basically don't allow the other team to score, and we don't really care that much if you add much offense. And I think that guys like Kadri and Nugent Hopkins are two effective uh, two-way players to be in that role. So I really like the idea that it's a matchup role. So now they are asked to shut down the other guys to a certain degree, but but to generate offense also. Kelly, really joining us on Inside Sports. It is 6-12. You know, I mentioned the Oilers' uh, record in their last 13 games. It is 8-5. That's a, that's a pretty good points percentage. The problem is they were five games under 500 when when they started this stretch. We'll see on Thursday if they can finally win three games in a row, or even if they you know lose Thursday and win Saturday, then then you know at least it's three out of four and you, you continue chipping away. 
Kelly, what in your mind, and I'll say if anything, because because maybe you don't think it's that significant, but what, if anything, do you think has changed for the Oilers, say, over the last two or three weeks? No, I think there is significant change. And it seemed like uh, for a while there after they got off to the bad start, it was, oh, or it was lost confidence, and then the last stage was kind of like, oh, woe is me, and how do we get out of this? And you're, you're kind of waiting for somebody else to, to take charge and be that guy. And I think they finally recognized that uh, we have to do this as a group. Everybody's got to do their part. And I would agree. I think they're playing some really great hockey. And uh, the three of the losses that uh, I'm looking at, you know what? You're going to lose sometimes one nothing when a, a goaltender like uh, Anderson was brilliant that night in, uh, in Toronto. And other nights like that were... Every once in a while, Saros, the goalie for Nashville, was absolutely stunning. So you're going to have nights like that, and you just have to forge ahead and remember that um, if you continue to play this well, chip away, you can come back into the race, and who knows, maybe you can become a dangerous team again. Yeah, they just got to stick with it because, you know, you can win three, four in a row and make up a point on the playoffs, yep. right, and pass one one team. So they're going to have to continue to be patient. Brassois played his seven games. He went three and four. Talbot's been back for two. He's won them both. Kelly, you were a goalie in the NHL. You were both a, a, a backup and a starter and even kind of a, a shared role, I think, one of your years in San Jose. Do teams play differently in front of different goaltenders, or is that a misconception? No, I think that is accurate. You hope that's not the case. You hope that you get the same sort of game. But I think it's pretty safe to say that when you get, uh, well, two things can happen. Uh, a team can get uh, a little bit too conservative, and they're so worried about their backup that they, they don't play very well, and uh, they, they don't have a lot of confidence, and so they're kind of waiting for something bad to happen. Now that's an extreme, and that you hope you never get to that situation. But the other one is sometimes they get, they really buckle down, and they're they're really focused on their job. And to me, right now, that's Calgary with uh, their goaltender David Riddick, their uh, unproven backup. Eddie Lack went to the minors, and in his three starts, I think that the Flames have played pretty exceptional defensive hockey. They they really tried to uh, limit the amount of chances the other team has had. I thought Brossois. We talked about this last week. I thought he did a really nice job of bouncing back, and his honesty. We talked about again last week about how he lost focus in that uh, Calgary game. Uh, it's a growing thing for him. It's always going to be learning experience until uh, if he ever does get a situation where he's going to play lots of minutes. But uh, right now, uh, I'd say that uh, he gets a passing grade uh, for sure. I got to ask you one more, Kelly, and and I I did I just this just occurred to me, so I didn't I didn't let you know we wanted to talk about this, but one of your colleagues, a very famous one, I don't know how often yep. you actually see him, but his name's Don Cherry. Yeah. Uh, he he often will show those videos where a defending player puts his stick in front of a shot and it goes top corner on the goalie because it gets a little ramp or changes direction. Yeah. And Rob and I were talking about that. Uh, one, I can't remember which game it was the Oilers played. It might have been Minnesota. And there were tons of blocked shots both ways, like sticks yeah. in the way, pucks over the glass. And Rob and I were saying, you know, Don Cherry says that these cause goals all the time, but actually they prevent a lot of sh- shots. So as as a former goaltender, um, the, what did you tell your, your defenders to do? And we should preface this by saying shot blocking in the NHL now of many varieties is so common. But what's your attitude yeah. of the stick in the shooting lane? Uh, get it out of there. 
Really? Let me see the puck. Yeah, let me see the puck. Unless the, and in terms of shot blocking as well, um, I still say that uh, if it's a shot from the point, unless you're sure you're going to get uh, blocked the shot, get out of the way. Uh, I mean, you look at all the shots that are deflected from the point that now create more problems because of the change of direction. And even if it's ever so slight, like an inch or two, that can cause all sorts of havoc in front. And to me, when you when you want a shot uh, block, and, and it is an important tool, it's anything dangerous in the slot that clearly is going to give the goaltender and the defense issues, whether it's a, a clean shot that leads to a rebound or just a great scoring opportunity. Yeah, of course, get in the way and try and block those. But I just think that you know, the point shot, um, if you can, let the goaltender see it. I mean, how often do you ever see a goalie get beat clearly just from a, a shot from the blue line anymore, even a one-timer? It's, it's almost non-existent. Why, why create more problems for them? Well, that attitude makes sense, but it's also I don't, teams don't think that way anymore, right? Because I mean, you, you got defensemen, you know, you got defensemen like leaving the guy in front of the net sometimes to skate closer to the shooter to block the shot, right? Yeah, you know, I. By the way, this doesn't really like it doesn't bother me. It's not a big issue. So, and I've accepted it long ago. It's not that something that right. I'm the, go on and talk about too much it's just something in the in my mind i just feel like it's unnecessary at times i've talked to some goalies and i'm not going to say who because i know they, they wouldn't want this information shared and i say in confidence what do you think about shot blocking and most not not all but quite a few of the ones that i've talked to they just sort of roll their eyes and say well that's the game today and i have to accept it and you know, at least the coach knows if there's a little deflection, I can't stop it, and it's not on me. That's the, the style of play uh, that we have uh, defensively. So I think some of them would feel that just give me an honest chance to make the save. Why make it more difficult for me? Kelly, I hope you have a great Christmas. I know we'll catch up, uh, I think, one more time before the new year, but I hope you have an awesome Christmas, and it's going to be fun here. We'll see if the Oilers can make a push, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Reed. Talk to you soon, bud. Have a great holiday. That is Kelly Rudy checking in. You get him once a week here on Inside Sports. Man, great observations there about uh, shot blocking, what goalies have told him. That's uh, probably the, I mean, Kelly played in the 1980s into the 90s, and you used to have a couple guys, if that, on a team who would block a shot, and it'd be often going down on their side, getting your shin pads in the way, and now it's just cluttering up the shooting lane. And even though that's the way hockey is played, as Kelly referenced, a lot of modern goalies still say, my God, just let me see it and get out of the way. But that's not how the game is played anymore. You can chime in by texting 63630. The phone number 780-496-0063. Want to remind you, some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, bringing down-home southern food, and other tasty treats. Salivate over the menu at northchickenyeg.com. Inside Sports on Chet. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Okay, thanks a lot for tuning in. It's 624. Here's what's going on in the NHL. 
afternoon game in Toronto, celebrating the uh, centennial for the NHL. Toronto ringing up Carolina, 8-1 the final. Detroit and the Islanders tied 2-2 in the second period. Also in the second, Rangers up 2-zip on the Ducks. Senators lead the Wild 3-2. After one, no score, Sabres and Bruins. The Jets lead Nashville 1-0 halfway through the first period. Four other games still to come tonight, including the Canadians at the Canucks. You can text uh, 6-30-6-30. The Big L says, Reed, I agree with Kelly Rudy. Nugent Hopkins is not a number one center, but he is the best two-way player on the team. I've admired his quiet growth. Still my favorite oiler. I'd like to add that it's very likely Kara and Pugliarvi could be the much-needed leaps in depth development-wise that the Oilers need. And uh, Big L, thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in on Friday as well. You mentioned you were listening to that show live from Northland's Coliseum. Uh, This texture simply says, as a goaltender, get out of my flippin' way. Redirects are what the other team does. Well, good point. I mean, how many times do you see uh, a goal go in off uh, a defender's leg stick inadvertently because they're in the shooting lane? Now, I'm assuming that this the, uh, this goaltender texting in is not an NHL goaltender. I don't know how many uh, listen to the show. A <laughs> couple in Edmonton that are possible, I guess. Um, I, so I have a follow-up question for that texture. I'm assuming you play probably some form of men's hockey. Or maybe that's it could be a younger person who plays a high level of minor hockey or junior. And look, guys, uh, I... I you know my athletic prowess is next to none. I haven't played hockey in a while. How much shot blocking is there in men's hockey or beer league? I'm actually hoping there isn't a lot. <laughs> I'm guessing there isn't a lot. So to this goaltender that texted in, you really need to sit your beer league buddies down if they're blocked. Well, maybe if they're blocking shots, I guess good for them. But <laughs> maybe if you're having the beer before the game, they think they're getting out of the shooting lane, but they're actually getting in it. Andy says, I'd love to see Rob Brown's top circle slapper versus Kelly Rudy's just let me see it. Rob's if I hit my spot, I score versus what Kelly just said. Eh, That's a good point, Ed. They would have played against each other. I have to check how uh, Rob did against Kelly Rudy. Okay, we're coming up to the 6.30 news. A lot to come. You'll hear from Todd McClellan talking a little bit about uh, Clefbaum's injury. Clefbaum is on injured reserve. That's the Oilers' headline today. Slepeshev called back up from the AHL. Nathan Walker has been put on waivers. And Greg Chase, Oilers' farmhand, traded to Florida for future considerations. Inside Sports on Ched is back after the news. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Cam Talbot, two wins since returning from injury, looking good. Oilers trying to get it going. Still in a tough spot in the standings, but making up a little bit of ground. I mean, they've kind of been five to nine points out of the playoffs for the last six or seven weeks. Six points out going into tonight. That is of both the wild card held down by Dallas and third in the Pacific Division held down by San Jose. Tons of Pacific Division games left for the Edmonton Oilers, and they continue to be good in their own division like they were last year. They're five and one on the season. Oscar Clefbaum, injured reserve. 
Nothing uh, major, but an upper body injury. I wonder if Andre Secker is going to get activated tomorrow and play against St. Louis. Your Oilers update for Niskew Ford. Every model on sale every day. Niskew Ford above expectations. Well, it's uh, that time of year. In the Christmas season, you generally uh, have a lot of books coming out tempting sports fans with various tales and none better this season than a book about Dennis Marouk written by this man Sportsnet's Ken Reed. Ken welcome back to the show how are you doing? Life's great Reed how are you? I'm doing very well it's great to catch up with you man it's been too long since uh, since we've had you on the show man you're turning into uh, a, is this book number three for you? Yeah this is book number three it's kind of weird some people call me author i think that's still weird because authors are smart people with (laughs) desks and glasses and i'm just some dude who wrote a couple books but i'll take it well we could get you uh, a nice pair of glasses and maybe uh, i don't know a a old-fashioned typewriter and a smoking jacket and you'd look really astute i do wear contact lenses so i could just start wearing glasses but i'm thinking of turning one of the rooms in my house into an office so you know maybe maybe i could be astute you know, I'll go for that. Whatever works, whatever gets me through the day. And I got a fourth book coming out next year. If it makes you even more impressed. Oh my God! Well, that, that makes me incredibly impressed. Am I allowed to ask what we have not even talked about? Book number three yet? Am I allowed to ask what book number four is going to be about? Sure. Book number four will be Hockey Card Stories Two, a sequel to Hockey Card Stories. So there you go. Fifty-nine more cards. Breaking them all down again. Already doing the sequel. Okay. So I, I got to ask you, though, like when you were, I don't know, like a, a kid, a teen uh, in your 20s, did you think, okay, I got to write a book someday? Or was this more of a recent drive? Um, I always wanted to, I, I read a ton of hockey books as a kid, basically my whole life. And my brother and I always floated around the idea of writing a book. And I've had some ideas over the years. But when I got to Sportsnet and I actually had some, some free time and when I say free time I when I started here at Sportsnet I was anchoring three nights a week so I had the weeks off basically I was working Friday Saturday Sunday so I had a lot of time uh had Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursdays off and didn't have any kids and didn't have a golf membership and all things like that so then it was time for me to finally tackle an idea I'd been kicking around and to be honest it uh once the first book came out, uh, the idea of a second book I found appealing because I really enjoyed the process. It didn't make me rich by any means, but I found it quite fulfilling. I found it quite interesting, and and uh, book number two came about, and then I was asked by uh, Dennis to help with book number three, and I, I, I guess it's something I just enjoy. I always hear authors use the term labor of love, and that's definitely true, so it's just something I, I kind of fell into. I still consider myself a broadcaster first. But, uh, yeah, the, the writing thing is its very fun. It's, it's fulfilling for sure. All right, so the latest one, and, and you touched on it there, Dennis Marouk, the unforgettable mm-hmm. story of hockey's forgotten 60-goal man. So you kind of touched on it, but I, I'd love to get more details. He like he reached out to you. Did you guys have to sit down and talk and see if you had some, some chemistry yeah. or connection with storytelling? How did it all get rolling? Yeah, well, Dennis was in my hockey card book. I talked to him about an old OPG card of his, and I gave him a copy of the book at a golf tournament and it turns out I guess he liked the story that I'd written about him and um, him and a a buddy of his were talking and he said you know Dennis was he was saying to Dennis you should write a book and Dennis no I don't need to write a book we want to buy a book and you know I don't know what the first thing about writing a book and so well I should reach out to Ken do you like his story in the hockey card book okay so Dennis his buddy reached out to me I agreed to go to lunch with Dennis and you know we met for lunch and I I knew Dennis was a great goal scorer and 
things like that. And I said, okay, let's do my private quarter our lunch just, you know, for half an hour. Well, we ended up sitting there for five and a half hours. And once Dennis started telling me about his life off the ice and just how out of whack it was and how off the radar it was and how it was so much different than any other life I'd heard about after hockey, I was convinced I had to do his book. So we worked on it for a year and a half, two years, and probably got about 20 to 25 hours worth of interviews done. And uh, here we are a few years later with a book. So it was it was something we both enjoyed to do. It got a little intense at times. There's some pretty intense stories in the book. There's some lighthearted stories in the book. So we went through the gamut of pretty much every emotion. So it was uh, it was a lot of work, but a lot of fun to do. You know, I, I'm, I'm interested, Ken, and... Hey, you know, I, I get to interview people every day. That's that's the best part of my job. You've obviously mm-hmm. done thousands of interviews in your career. And whether you're doing TV or radio, if you get something honest or emotional, you often go to yeah. your colleagues and say, oh, man, it's beautiful what I got, or he really opened up, or he made, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to make people cry or laugh. But it must have been the experience, you'll fill in the blank here, but the experience must have been different that you're spending this much time with a guy, mm-hmm. probably often one-on-one. And like you said, some of the stories were, uh, he kind of bared his soul, didn't he? He did, and it was. I mean, I mean, Dennis, at the at the start of our interviews, he wouldn't give much details, right? Because he doesn't know me yet. He doesn't trust me. But, I mean, he'd say, oh, that was a tough time in my life. So then by the, the 10th hour together, we're, we're relating to one another. And he basically told me that one time he tried to kill himself and he didn't want to tell me that. He didn't think that I, you know, he, he was shy about telling me that. He was depressed and had a lot of anxiety. And I said, well, I've got anxiety, Dennis. That's something I've dealt with for a long, long time and something I still deal with. So once we kind of opened up to each other, we connected and we trusted each other. So we had to we had to build a trust because you're right, it's, it's tough to build a trust with someone when it's just a 10-minute interview. But Dennis and I spent a lot of time together. We're actually, I'd call him a really good friend right now. So we spent a lot of time together. Uh, there's a lot of trust there. I was in the hospital with him two days after he had uh, quadruple bypass surgery just over a year ago. Um, you know, his, his dad just passed away. So we, you know, we we talked about that. And but yeah, we built a lot of trust. And once he realized that I wasn't just some journalist broadcaster guy, that I was a real human, he could he could open up to me a lot more. And I had to respect the fact that he wasn't just a hockey player; he's a human as well. So. There's a lot of human stories in there that, that just happen to have happened to a hockey player. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Ken Reed joining us from Sportsnet. Used to work here in Edmonton. The new book, Dennis Marouk, The Unforgettable Story of Hockey's Forgotten 60-Goal Man. It sounds like you got some great stuff in there, emotional. i got to ask you a lighthearted question, though, Ken. I know you appreciate yeah. those, too. Uh, are there any mustache stories? <laughs> well, we don't beat around the bush, Reed. Uh, chapter two is how to grow the Fu Manchu. Like, nice. We get right to it. I think we 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 start this chapter by saying it's time to address address the white uh, used to be black but now gray elephant in the room, which is Dennis's famous Fu Manchu. <laughs> so Dennis basically tells the story of how he came about to grow the mustache, um, how you too can grow Fu Manchu. But it was funny he. He talked about what the mustache meant to his on-ice identity, and it's actually kind of funny because his mustache, in a way, it made, as you know, it made him look pretty mean. And Dennis had to play the game with an edge because he was so small and playing in the 70s and the rough early 80s. It was a tough, nasty league. So Dennis had to be nasty. And the mustache made him look a little nastier, right? The big Fu Manchu and the long, nasty hair. So it kind of it complemented how... He had to become 
this really, really edgy player. Because when he was in junior, he was he had the mustache, but he was just a pure goal scorer. When he got to the NHL to survive, he had to be a, a real um, kind of a jerk at sometimes to other guys on the ice. So this tash kind of made him look like this big, mean guy. So we actually do talk about the role that his look played in helping him survive in the NHL. And and if you do have the ability to grow a few minutes, you will let you know how to do it. Right. That's uh, that's all. well. That's well said about how the look affected how he, how he had to play. Can um, yeah, you got. I mean, you got to look the part, right? So he did look the part. He looked like a mean, nasty little guy, and that, he he was mean and nasty on the ice at times. You know what's interesting too, Ken. I mean, obviously, he scored 60 goals. I, I'm old enough to remember him playing. Obviously, there weren't yep. a lot of Washington Capitals games on television when I was a young man, mm-hmm. but I certainly remember mm-hmm. the name and know he had some prolific offensive seasons. Though it's got to be interesting, I bet you if you went up to a lot of people, even you know our generation or older, and said, you know, name the 50 greatest scorers from, I don't know, like 1975 to 88 or whatever that era. I wonder how many people mm-hmm. would say Dennis Marouk, like you, the title, very appropriate in the title, the forgotten 60-goal man, right? Yeah, not many, and Dennis is the first to admit that. Dennis played 888 games in the NHL. He had 878 points. He still holds the Washington Capitals single-season record for points. I believe it was 136. Alexander Ovechkin hasn't broken that, but Dennis is the first to admit Nobody really knows I scored 60 because I scored 60 for the Caps. And I played for the Bears and I played for the Seals. And when I scored 60, Gretzky got 92. So who cares about when somebody right. scores 60 when they're, they're counting down to 100 for right. somebody else? <laughs> Good point. So he just, everything about him was under the radar. Whereas I think if a guy like Dennis had played for the Leafs and got 60, there's a guy, one of a former Leaf in the book, Builder Lego, says it best. If Dennis got 60 in a Leaf uniform, He'd be on one of those bronze statues outside the ACC. But he got 60 on a Caps team that actually had to have a Save the Caps uh, fundraiser on TV. You know the old Jerry Lewis telethons? They actually did a a Washington Capitals telethon like that to save the team on local TV as after, I believe, his 50-goal season. So he was scoring goals when his games were not on Hockey Night in Canada, when not a lot of his games were even on American TV. For a team that wasn't over the top, so he, yeah, he absolutely went right under the radar. Yeah, I wonder how many Capitals games even would have been broadcast in the in the DC region, like locally in the 1980s. I well, bet I bet you it was less than a quarter. Well, a huge challenge for me uh, when I was writing the book was trying to find footage of Dennis because there's hardly any on YouTube. And one of the thing about Dennis is he doesn't remember any of his goals. If you tell talk to Dale Howardchuck. Dale Howardchuck can remember all of his goals. It's just one of those things. Dennis can't remember his goals, most of them. So trying to find footage of him was was pretty tough. Now, after the book came out, somebody released a bunch of footage of Dennis on YouTube. That I think someone who read the book. So it's out there now. But yeah, trying to trying to find it was pretty challenging. Yeah, well, it, incredible story, Ken. And again, you know, Dennis Marouk, the unforgettable story of hockey's forgotten sixty-goal man. Christmas is uh, right away. If people want, uh, yep. <laughs> looking for a last-minute uh, gift for a, a hockey fan, and all the best as you work on book number four. My goodness, you're turning into like uh, uh, I don't know why Agatha Christie's the first author that came to mind, but she was pretty yeah. famous. So there you go, Ken. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it, Reed. Yeah, but but yeah, if you're looking for a story that maybe the, uh, that you you think you know a lot about hockey? You should really know about Dennis Marouk. Or if your uncle thinks he knows about hockey, you should know about Dennis Marouk. Because that's one of the things I love about 
writing stories about guys who played just a game in the NHL or a guy who's got what you'd call a common hockey card. The stories need to be told. They deserve to be told, and that's, that's why it was such a pleasure to work with Dennis on this book. Well said, Ken. Thanks a lot for coming on tonight. Man, Dennis Marouk, the unforgotten 60-goal man in the NHL, the new book by Sportsnet's Ken Reed. Sounds like a great read for sure. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Ched will remember a former city councillor and his impact on the world of sports when we get back. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Letestu with a goal last night. Oilers beating the Sharks 5-3. Oscar Clefbaum placed on injured reserve this morning. You know he's been playing banged up. So he'll get a little bit of time off here next two games over Christmas. We'll see if he returns next week. Andre Sekra, you wonder if he's going to be activated in time to play the Blues on Thursday. Also, Nathan Walker placed on waivers. Anton Slepeshev called right back up from Bakersfield. And the Oilers trade Greg Chase to Florida for future considerations. Reed Wilkins coming to you from the 630 Chad studio. Terry Cavanaugh has passed away at the age of 91. Of course, uh, 27 years on city council. Twice he was appointed mayor and uh, a significant contribution to the Edmonton sporting community. And that's why we're bringing on Scott Johnson, our city hall bureau chief. Scott, thanks for making time for me tonight. How are you doing? Hey, good, Reed. How's it going? Doing well. It's uh, it's great to talk to you. I wish uh, it was under happier circumstances uh, with Mr. Kavanaugh passing away, but I think it's important to uh, remember his contributions to the city. I, I know a lot of those are going to be, um, uh, you, you know, the, the, the political stuff, the infrastructure stuff, but, but sports was a big part of who Terry was, too, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he played junior B, I think it was, uh, as a carded uh, Detroit Red Wing property where the six teams split the country up. So he went to Galt, Ontario. And who else was on that team, briefly? A uh, kid from Floral, Saskatchewan, Gordie Howe. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. And um, I remember Eileen Bell had uh, Terry in studio there, and I, I fed her that information. She didn't know it. So she's, wow, what's it like playing with Gordie Howe? And Terry corrected Eileen and said, no, no, no. Gordie played with me. <laughs> that's awesome um i mean scott you've been around city hall a long time uh and i mean you know terry uh 1971 so i try to think about sporting events that came to edmonton uh commonwealth universiad um you know i don't know world juniors and and all the the sporting facilities that have been built do you associate him specifically with any of those or just as a general force behind anything like that yeah, he was first on council in 75 through 77, so they had the three-year terms there. So he was in on the bid and the preparation, really, for the Commonwealth Games in 78. Uh, wasn't around for university yet. Was very instrumental in helping in the bid process for the 2001 World Track and Field Championships. And in the late 90s, there was a bid for Commonwealth Games. You'll remember that they wound up in Victoria the thought was they were going to go to Halifax, but uh, Ivor Dent, another former mayor, was in charge of the Canada Commonwealth Games Group, and no, he insisted that they go to Victoria, so wouldn't it have been interesting if they were in Halifax? We'd probably have a CFL team there right now. 
Terry, uh, in the in the bid process, realized either Edmonton was going to get the games and finish first in the bidding because it would mean uh, very inexpensive games because they could reuse all the facilities, or they could come dead last in the voting because they wanted to give it to another city and share the wealth sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, he, he was very much... Uh, Wanting to promote Canada or Edmonton to Canada and promote Edmonton to the rest of the world with international sports events and large and small, they all came through. And he was always uh, up front and trying to promote and bring the bring the best to our city. Yeah, well, he's going to be fondly remembered for sure. So thanks for uh, remembering uh, Terry Cavanaugh and some of his contributions to to sports in Edmonton, Scott. Hey, while I have you on the line, uh, I should uh, bring up something else. As you know, Friday. I got to camp out at Northlands Coliseum, did inside sports from there. Ryan Smith joined me for a while. The final hockey game, it was an AJHL game between Okotoks and Spruce Grove. Okotoks wound up winning it. So uh, do we do, like what's, do we know what's happened with the Coliseum January 1st? Like how, what's the resolution here? Well, the city takes over ownership, and council uh, a couple of weeks ago was going through the permutations and combinations and city manager Linda Cochran said guys you agreed that you wanted to close it closing it means never using it again so they're probably going to tear it down that's what Mayor Iveson is after because he doesn't want uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Kemper Arena in Kansas City which used to be the yeah. home of the the Kings in the NBA days and they used to have the NCAA tournament there seemingly all the time it's been boarded up, and it's a rat's nest, and it really looks very derelict, so they don't want the same fate for the Coliseum here. So in the new year, they'll start getting some proposals on an entire area district plan to look at the whole 160-acre site or the 13 acres that are north of 118th Avenue. There's the, still the chance that uh, they could flip the Coliseum and those 13 acres over to a private developer and let him absorb the cost of tearing it down and putting something new there. So a lot of decisions are still to be made on the Coliseum, and we'll find out more about that in the latter weeks in January. Wow, okay. So you're going to be covering what happens with the old building almost as long as you were covering trying to build the new one. <laughs> <laughs> It'll go on. There's, there's no easy answers there. All right. Scott, I uh, really appreciate it, and great job getting the uh, Brent Burns interview about the uh, beard petting last night. Was That that must have been one of the uh, most surreal scrums you've been in in the visitors' dressing room. <laughs> and you nailed it, too, where he's a very slow talker. And What was your phrase after the, the tape played? Uh, I think I said he's furry but not wordy. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, we'll see you at the rink on uh, Thursday night, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Scott Johnson, City Hall Bureau Chief, and also uh, gets the uh, visitors' interviews after Oilers games. And you have the maroon beard stroke on Brent Burns. That's going to be on the uh, classic videos for a while. NHL update tonight. Red Wings and Islanders 3-3 after two. Rangers leading the Ducks 3-0 after two. That's good for the Oilers. Ducks, one of the teams they're chasing. Wild and Senators 3-3 after two periods. In the second period, Boston up 1-0 on Buffalo. After one, Nashville leading the Jets 2-1. Nine minutes in, no score. Capitals and Stars. Earlier, Maple Leafs hammering the Hurricanes 8-1. We're back after the news. 
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.